You're listening to a message from Every Nation GTA. For more information, please visit our website at everynationgta.org. Welcome again to Every Nation Church, and uh, we're continuing our series uh, on mental health. Uh, every February we do a series, and this year it's called My Story. And we might say, well, why exactly do we talk about mental health and emotional health? And what is it? I have a graphic here that just tells really uh, how important um, and how much of an impact mental health, health really makes on us. When we think of it affects the way we think, it affects the way we feel, and it affects the way we behave. And so that's a real big part of our life, isn't it? And so it's really important that we talk about the real things uh, of life. Um, the other reason why we talk about it is because the church hasn't always been very gracious uh, to those who are suffering from mental illness. Um, I think that there's been a thought, and I, I know that I've maybe even had this in the past as well. Um, it's almost like, well, those are sort of weaker people or, you know, if they had a stronger faith or something like this. And really, um, you know, it's inf- unfortunate because that's uh, not really how Christ would have us approach people. He would approach people, ourselves and others with compassion. And so um, that's another reason why we want to talk about this. Another reason is just because Oh, before I go, there's another slide here. You know, I'm just that if we actually treated uh, physical illness the same way as we treated mental illness, look at these uh, sayings. Have you tried, you know, not having cancer? Or maybe if you change your mindset, you'll stop having diabetes. Or it's like you're not even trying to stop having a cold. So, you know, then it's, it's, it's ridiculous, isn't it, when we think about it? That, but sometimes those are the attitudes that can uh, prevail. Um, the other thing is that, as a church, we want to be relatable to the world around us, and if we don't talk about the things that our society is struggling with, or the dreams, the hopes, the struggles, then we're not actually connecting Christianity and our faith to the real world. And uh, we really want to make sure that we are. Christ has come into the world as his world, and he knows the brokenness of it and sends us into it to talk about all the issues uh, of life. So as we um, begin this uh, message today, I want to recap just the introduction from last week. Uh, Last week, the first part of the sermon that Sheila uh, gave us, uh, the first part of it, Sheila and I actually wrote together to kind of just open up the series. And I actually want to reiterate it again. So I'm going to, I'm going to read, read the opening once again. Uh, We must remember that in Canada, in any given year, one in five will personally experience mental health problems. But even if we don't experience a mental health issue, all of us have the need to grow in our general emotional health. We want our lives to be marked with the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. We want to be less defensive, less impatient, less argumentative. I hope that you do. Uh, less anxious and fearful and more like Jesus, where people experience us to be loving, kind, peaceful and compassionate. And God is certainly in, uh, concerned with all aspects of our lives. Uh, this year, our theme is my story. So what do we mean when we say my story? And what does it have to do with mental and emotional health? 
Believe it or not, it has everything to do with it. Our story is more than just the facts of where we were born and what our family was like and the various experiences, good and bad, we had growing up. It's how these experiences marked us and affect us and how we relate to others now. It also affects how we understand and relate to God. Uh, Author Ian Cron gives this example. If your father lavished you with praise only when you won in sports, or if you heard disappointment in your mother's voice when you got a B-plus on your report card, did you think to yourself as a child, oh, well, my parents mean well, but they're just shallow people who need to uh, need me to be their little wonder kind, to buoy, buoy their self-esteem and make them look good in the eyes of their friends. No, as a child, you likely noted their reaction and concocted a story around the message, I have to win every game. I have to ace every test. I have to succeed at everything in life or people won't love me. So that's an example of an inner story. It's not what happened, but it's the story and the interpretation that we gets buried deep down on the inside of us. It's the interpretation and the application of the life events that we experienced growing up. Uh, I'm going to call this guy Mark. Um, Notice his inner story. I have to win every game. I have to ace every test. I have to succeed at everything in life or people won't love me. Now, for most of us, it's not, we're not even able to immediately um, interpret it like Mark did. We have bits and pieces of it, and that's why we need to grow in understanding our story. We live in a fallen world, and all of us have, as I said, a story that's comprised of both joy, happiness, and also moments of tragedy and pain. Most of us are actually unaware, as I've said, of the story that we develop on the inside, but nonetheless, we react based on it all the time. We tend to bury the scary and tragic moments, either consciously or unconsciously. I must interject here that this is so true of me for years. I never really was aware that the way I was reacting or overreacting had anything to do with, you know, my past experiences. And I wasn't aware that I was living out of some, you know, false or broken story. It's really taken quite a while and it's a journey. And so even as you mi- listen to this message, I'll just warn you, it's not going to be one and done. It's, it's, it's a journey. It's a process uh, to, 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 get to the point where you can really understand and interpret your story. Um, But here's the point. The story we develop on the inside growing up is actually a good thing and was necessary as children to navigate life. and, And this is really important and feel safe, feel safe. So it's a good thing. Uh, it has a place in our development. When people say children are resilient, I believe it's because of this ability to create a story for personal protection. Um, what if as children, we understood everything that was really going on and negatively, it probably blow us away. Um, and so I believe that it's part of God's protection and it's a good thing in its place, but here's the point of our sermon series. Okay. This is kind of the heart of it again, in the words of, uh, Ian Cron, what supports us in childhood thwarts us in adulthood, our old stories continue to operate autonomously in the shadows of the heart and become enemies of our growth. Ian relates in his book a story of his first mentor who asked him a pointed question. He said, Ian, do you ever wonder if you're living in the wrong story? 
I believe his mentor was discerning that Ian had not let go of his old, inadequate childhood story. Look at this. Do you ever wonder if you're living in the wrong story? And this is what uh, Ian said about his mentor, Jack. I see Jack's question to me as a major turning point in changing the false story I told about myself, about who I was, a story that had helped me make sense of a painful childhood, but became an obstacle to my growth as an adult. It makes me think of St. Paul's exhortation to the Corinthians and the famous love chapter that's often um, recited at weddings. In 1 Corinthians 13, 11, Paul said, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, but when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. So the context of this verse is about love. And in this chapter, um, Paul talks about things like prophecy in verse 8, and he says that they'll pass away, tongues, even knowledge will pass away. And so when love comes, when the perfection of love comes, these things won't be needed anymore. But never does Paul say prophecy is bad or tongues are bad or knowledge is bad. What he's saying is that when something greater comes, then we have to let go of what was before. Does that make sense? So spoke, thought, and reasoned as a child. Um, you know, those are good things, but we need to be able to set them aside when something better comes. So the stories we develop in child uh, need an upgrade. Unpacking our story in the light of God's love and truth is the only way to grow and be more like Jesus. Uh, we're going to approach this series then in three parts. So last week, here's the three parts of our series this year. See your story, own your story, rewrite your story. So today, uh, we are going to center in on this part two about owning our story. So right from the beginning of time, we have tried to save ourselves rather than uh, letting God save us. Think of our great, 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 great grandparents, Adam and Eve. Um, after the fall, if you know the story of creation, it said that they sewed fig leaves to cover up their shame and their uh, nakedness. But God, seeing the futility of this attempt, I mean, it's kind of comical when you think about it, really. I mean... Um, I don't know. Sorry, my, my imagination is just running wild on me right now. Um, you know, we haven't got into designer clothes yet. I mean, it's really, it's really basic here, but it's comical. And maybe, and maybe that's how God looks at the different ways that we try to cover our own shame. Um, but what did God do? It said that he fashioned skins for them to put them, which he, he had to kill an animal and shed blood. It's a foreshadowing, isn't it, of that the only way that we can actually have our shame covered is through the blood sacrifice and specifically the blood sacrifice of Jesus when he came into the world. One of the first foreshadowings in the beginning of the Bible of the coming of Christ and his work. So how do we see our own broken false story? Before we can rewrite a broken story, we have to own the faults and destructive stories of who we are and how the world operates. So I'm going to give you um, four methods of seeing that inner story. And like I said, it's going to take time. One sermon, if you've never done some work on this, one sermon probably won't do it. Um, I want to lower my expectations, but I think it can be a good um, a good part of the story. I think it can, it can start the process. So 
Some of you in our church have been uh, familiar with the Enneagram uh, personality type. And um, and I'm going to go through the nine personality types and talk about the generic false story that each type believes. Now, you don't have to know anything about the Enneagram uh, to uh, help um, be prompted of these. As I read these types and what their general false narrative or false story might be, you might see yourself in one or more of the others. We're not purely one type. We're kind of a combination, but generally we have a one that sticks out more. One of the things I like about the Enneagram as I've gotten into it, and I've done a lot of personal analogy tests over the years, Myers-Briggs, DISC, um, Circe, um, oh, there's just so many of them. Uh, one of the things I like about this is it is actually an ancient spiritual uh, tool for mentorship. That's what it was meant for. And it comes from the biblical worldview uh, recognizing that there is a fallenness to the world. Um, some of the other personalities only push on the strengths. They don't actually say, yeah, but what has developed because of your brokenness? Whereas the Enneagram does both the positive and the negative. And so today we're going to center on the little bit more of the negative part uh, of it. And um, let's just look, see if you can identify some false stories in some of these types. So just the structure of the Enneagram starts with eight. And it, instead of one through nine, you just kind of have to trust me. They normally start with eight. Okay. So just, and then we're going to get work our way back. Okay. So let's just fly through these. And what I want you to do is just think, do any of these um, identify with you when you think about maybe the broken story that you have on the inside of you. Okay, first one, type eight, the challenger. Their false story centers around the belief that we live in a dog-eat-dog -dog world where the powerful dominate. They assert strength and power over people in the environment to mask vulnerability and weakness. Type nine, the peacemaker. Their false story centers around their unconscious belief that their presence doesn't matter. Therefore, to avoid disconnection and keep the peace, they believe they must go with the flow, avoid conflict, and merge with the preferences, viewpoints, and priorities of others. Type 1, the improver. The underlying false premise of their story is the belief that the world loves and rewards only the good people and judges the bad ones. They try to gain love and a sense of control by tamping down their anger, meeting their own high standards, and seek to perfect themselves, others in the world. I think Mark, uh, the guy who, you know, I think, I think he was an improver, a type one. That's just my opinion. Okay, type two, the helper. They mistakenly believe that they can't be loved for who they are, but only what they do for others. It makes sense then that disavowing their own needs and helping others becomes their strategy for gaining love and approval. Type three, the performer. Their story is based on the mistaken notion that being successful and avoiding failure at all costs is the only path to being valued and loved. They tend to be goal crushing, image conscious, and being accomplishment focused. Type four, the romantic. Their story revolves around the misguided idea that they're missing something crucial on the inside. And until they regain it, they will never be loved and understood or feel whole or welcome in the world. Addicted to their own suffering, they seek to shore up their sh shaky self-image and achieve belonging by appearing to be special and unique. The investigator. 
their story centers around the false idea that the world is intrusive and makes more demands on them than they can ever meet. To protect themselves against intrusion uh, by reducing their own needs, observing rather than participating in life, isolating and gaining knowledge to fend off feelings of ineptitude and inadequacy. Type 6, the loyalist. Their false story revolves around their belief that the world is a dangerous place in which the only way to feel safe and certain is to remain hypervigilant, forge strong alliances, and prepare for the worst. Seven, the enthusiast. Their unconscious belief is that painful emotions, thoughts, or situations must be avoided at all costs. Charming, intelligent, entertaining, future-focused, optimistic, and adventurous, they are afraid of being trapped in negative feelings from which they can't escape. Now, that was a fast run-through, but hopefully you were seeing yourself or maybe your spouse in one or more of these or your friends. Can't help but sometimes do that when you do these personality test stuff. But I want to I talk about now and we've seen this many, many times if you've come to Every Nation Church. We try to emphasize the four-chapter story of God. This is the reality that we believe the world actually looks like. It's a four-chapter story. The Bible lays this out. We have creation, that everything was created good. There isn't a person that you'll lock eyes with that God didn't make and didn't declare good in their origin and then in their essence. And then fall, that we live, like I said before in a broken world with sin, and it's affected all of us. None of us have had the perfect family. None of us can have the perfect church. None of us can have the perfect anything. Why? A whole creation cries out because there's a brokenness in this world. But Christ has come, chapter 3, redemption. And he's with us, and he's redeeming. It's a, he's, he's inaugurated our king, the kingdom of God here on earth. It's already, but not yet. It's in seed form. It's growing. Isn't that wonderful? The kingdom of God is growing right now. Jesus is building his church and good things are happening and he is with his people. And no matter what goes on, Christ is there. It's so wonderful. He is redeeming. And one day, oh, one day, one day, I just want to sing a song right now. It'll all be put back. We'll have a new heaven and an earth where all that brokenness, pain will be. It'll be like a, a back to chapter one. It'll be like, nothing broken, everything working right. Ah, this is the story of God. It's balanced though, isn't it? And what happens, uh, what I believe happens is that in our brokenness, what happens is we'll tend towards one part or the other. We'll, we'll overemphasize the story of God. For instance, the, uh, uh, the, the enthusiast who doesn't want any negative emotions in there. He'll be thinking about chapter one. Yeah, God made things good. That's right. And, and chapter four, it's like, yep, everything's going to be right. But they, they, they'll avoid, avoid chapter two. Ah, no, 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 no chapter two for me, please. And so you'll see, um, you know, different ones might emphasize different parts in our stories. So method number two. Some of the more traditional ways that you might have heard before. How about listening prayer? Psalm 139 says this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And so we believe that prayers don't just go up to God, but God speaks to our hearts. 
prayer is a two-way street. And so one of the ways we can ask God, Lord, what story, what story of I clinging to that's not right that you want to bring transformation to uh, in my life? You can relate, uh, reflect on your conversations and your feelings and ask God to show you these false narratives. Listening prayer. Method number three, I just call it personal reflection. Uh, do a personal check-in at the end of the day or the beginning of the day, uh, examining your last day. And take note of any, say, overreactions you had in dealing with others. Maybe you had a fight with, oh yeah, we don't, Christians don't have fights with their spirit. Their, uh, we just have lively discussions. So, um, or, you know, or maybe there was just certain, you know, you became overly anxious over something or, you know, there was just a time where you like, there was just a pit in your stomach and you were like certain time of the day and you reflect back on that and you, you think about, you know, why, what story must I be living into to have some of these feelings? Ask yourself, what story have I been believing? Um, and let me say that we, it's not like we're either in the story of God or our broken story. We're, we're amazing people. We can jump back and forth many times, even in the same day. Uh, um, but we want to live into the story of God more and more. That's our goal. Method number four, ask a friend um, or someone close to you. Obviously, you know, you want to build the type of friendship. And we talked about this last week when you're telling your story and you're listening for the reactions of other people. You might tell your story of, you know, some tough things in childhood. And just a matter of fact, and the person you're telling it to might start bawling, you know, because they're touched by your story and you're hardened to it a little bit. And so when you ask a trusted friend, it's and this is a scary thing to do, like, how do I come off to you? Is part of emotional intelligence, understanding how people perceive you. It's kind of scary, actually. It's a scary question to ask people, but a good one. If you can find someone that you you trust, you know, just say, "Hey, you know, how do I come off? Like, how do how do how do I um, you know, how do I make you feel and react in my maybe good times? Start with those, and then uh, maybe on some of my maybe more." negative aspects of how I react. So First uh, Corinthians 12, 14 says this, the body does not consist of one member, but of many. And down in verse 21, it says, the eye can't say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor the head to the feet, I have no need of you. So what are these scriptures? What is Paul exhorting the church? To? He's saying, we need one another. We really do. We need one another for reflection. We need one another to speak into our lives. You know, that's, that's part of what an authentic community does, where we take those risks with one another and we uh, open and, and take the risk of speaking into someone's life and take the risk of opening up our lives. Why? Because, and I really like this passage of scripture because it uses beautiful imagery of the various parts of the human body and how they all have a particular function and ability and together they make up a beautiful whole. We were never made to make it on our own. And that's kind of a Western idea of, you know, here's the Bible, go disciple yourself. That's go grow in Christ. Here's a Bible. Here's a Bible today. No, 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 no. We're a worshiping community. We're a community and, and we help one another, not just only in like, I'll help you move. And we need to help one another move when it's time to move or whatever, a practical way and serve one another in those ways. But we also need to serve one another in our growth. 
in our moving forward as followers uh, of Christ. Let me uh, bring it to a little bit of a personal story. Um, so Sheila and I, in our marriage, we've been working on trying to understand our inner story and work with one another. And one of the parts of my story, uh, my broken old story, is I have this belief that um, I got to do it on my own and no one will help me. And uh, it's very difficult for me to ask for help. I don't even know how. Um, and my wife knows this about me and has learned. And instead of, instead of getting mad at me for like, why didn't you ask for some help? Like, uh, you know what? She's done some great things. In fact, one week ago, just one week ago, um, our worship leader, Jer Jacob Moon, has taken, taken his son uh, to Arizona and didn't, and we didn't communicate properly and we didn't have a call to worship and uh, recorded before he got on the plane. And so, oh no, what are we going to do? And I was just stressing out about this. And then I thought, well, maybe we can just do a voiceover. And and uh, the growth for me was I shared my feelings with Sheila. I'm stressed out about because normally I would just like tamp it down and be miserable by myself. Um, and I shared my feelings. And, you know, my wife, she actually asked my son about it and turns out that someone else came in and did the call to worship and it was like beautiful and it worked out incredibly well and and I was served in such a way and I've told my wife like at least two times honey that's a memory I need to hold on to that someone just took a burden off of me that they will help me now I also need to learn how to ask. I understand that. But it's also a memory that I'm trying to break my narrative that I have to do it all on my own and realize, no, I have lots of people around me to come and support. So thank you, Sheila. So that's a little bit of me working on my inner story and trying to live into the story of God. Um, on the other side, uh, my wife is uh, the loyalist. And that's the uh, Enneagram six. And um, one of the things about the six is they are hyper vigilant. They're the ones who, when they go into a mo movie theater, the first thing they do is check where the exits are. And if there's a fire, they'll figure out, you know, the exit strategy. Like they're just, but now, it, it, like I said, it can be a good thing, but it can also be a debilitating thing. It can mean that instead of enjoying the, enjoying the movie, you're, 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 you're ready for, uh, you know, the emergency. So their loyalists are great in emergencies because they've already been there. Um, but they miss out on so much of life because things might be going good now, but just around the corner, disaster could be lurking, right? So I, instead of, uh, you know, in the past in my marriage, uh, you know, Sheila, why are you so darn negative? I was having a good day. Like, okay, so, you know, one of those discussions I was talking about. Um, I'm trying to learn, uh, okay, how can I move my wife from that broken narrative into something more um, positive and create? And so um, for Christmas, and I'm going to show you something, I have permission, I got her this um, plaque and we hang it in our kitchen and I'll have to get a, 
zoom in on it. And it says this. It's a quote from Julian of Norwich. It says, All shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. And we see that now in the kitchen. And even though I'm not an Enneagram 6, it reminds me that all shall be well. Why? Because of Jesus, right? Because we have a Redeemer. We're not alone. The truth is that he's going to make all things well. And so that's just a, some practical ways that we can uh, help one another. Okay, let's uh, bring this home. What then does it mean to own our story? And what's interesting is that if once we own our story and we see how it's broken, then we can, it, it, it's really just a short step to rewriting it, part three. It's, it's comparing with how does this truth line up with the truth of scripture, with the truth of grace, with the truth. So um, we're almost, we're pushing towards part three. So when we own, this is what I believe it means to own. And I have a slide here. Own, I believe, means to acknowledge, repent, and Jesus. That's my equation. Acknowledging, repenting, and Jesus. So acknowledge, yes. That's my broken story. That's the tendency towards uh, how the fall of man, how the chapter two of the story of God has impacted my life. So we say, yeah, that's, that's true. I don't want to deny it anymore. I don't want to be so positive that I never acknowledge um, that, yeah, sometimes life is tough um, or, or whatever the issue may be. Second is repentance. Repentance is a beautiful word. It means to change. It means to do a 180. It's a choice to live into a into the true story. Who wants to live in a broken down old story anyhow? I don't. So we choose to live in the true story of God, specifically in the areas of our life. Many of us say, yeah, I believe in that graphic. I believe in the four chapter, but we don't necessarily believe it in the point where it hits our real life, where the rubber meets the road in our life. And we have to connect those. And then finally, I love this. Jesus, I rewrite you back into my story because he's the game changer. He's the game changer through whatever the story is. It's different when Jesus is in the center of it. Whether uh, you're a loyalist, Jesus is going to, he is the safety. Whether, whether whatever it is, and all the stories, believe it or not, have something to do with how we protect ourselves and achieve safety. At the end of the day, Jesus in our boat will calm the storm. He's the one who's at the center. So, Back to the beginning regarding mental and emotional health. There are various ways to improve our mental and emotional health, including therapy, medication, better health, etc. But also living in the truth of the gospel and the four-chapter reality of the story of God can also have a huge impact. What would it be like to not live in anxiety? What would it be like to, uh, and I'm not talking about a chemical imbalance. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about our emotional health of just everyday stresses. What would it be like to have the peace of God that passes all understanding? Jesus is the one who can come into our story and can move us compassionately, beautifully, put his arms around us and bring us out 
more and more into the new story. And like what I said, it's not one and done. We'll be catching ourselves it, from time to time. We'll all of a sudden we'll wake up and go, whoops, I'm living back in that old story again. And that's where we can help one another too. So let's pray as we conclude. Jesus, we thank you that you're the one who can come into it. No matter how broken the story is, no matter how many false narratives have gotten in there, you can, you're the revealer and you're the helper. You're the author and the finisher of our faith. We love you, Jesus, for your, for your patience with us, uh, the way that you never you promised to never leave us or forsake us. And Lord, as we see and own, and then next week we're going to learn about rewriting that story in a greater way, we look to you as the author of life. Thank you for your grace. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Every Nation GTA. Thanks for joining us. For more information, visit our website at everynationgta.org.